You are now listening to the Peach Pundit Podcast, where we are expressing our own personal opinions. These views may not reflect the opinions of those whom we may be professionally affiliated. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Peach Pundit Podcast. I'm Jason Pye, joined by Scott Turner and Buzz Brockway. Guys, good to see you. Howdy. Howdy. Uh, Good to see you, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to to be here because this morning when I woke up, I did not want to roll out of bed. I had, a, I had a band practice last night, and we were crazy enough to book a practice from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. You old people cannot rock out <laughs> yeah. that late anymore, Jason. You're too damn old to be rocking out that late. I had, I had to load up to go. I had to unload when we got there, and then I had to load up to leave, and then I had to load up when we, you know, when I got back to my, my, my place out here and out in Reston and... I, I managed to get everything inside, and then the guitar amp that I just bought, it's a its a guitar amp and cab. It's huge, and it's still sitting in, like, the doorway <laughs> at home. <laughs> so I've got to, when I go home tonight, unfortunately, the first thing I'm going to have to do is make sure that is is moved moved downstairs into the basement. <laughs> but you need, a, you need a practice, you need a practice roadie to handle all that stuff for you. So y'all can just oh, I know. step in, plug in, and go, and then go home and let it let them worry about it i actually tried to get the because i live with a, a couple friends out here and i tried to get the one of the guys to come out with me well it's, it's a couple it's a married couple a guy a, a guy and a woman and she's on vacation with her son and i tried to get him to go to practice with me yesterday to kind of be my roadie and help me out a little bit but he when i got when i got home when i got home yesterday he was like in his pjs and stuff and i was like so you're not coming tonight, are you? So I'm I'm on my own here. My, I will I will give I will say this. My bandmates do a really good job of helping me out, you know, in terms of unloading when we get there and then loading up when we're done. But I have to do the loading to go to practice and the unloading from practice on my own. So uh, at least the guitar, the the ca- at least the cabinet I bought has wheels on it, which is helpful. But uh, for those of you who play guitar, I bought an EVH fifty one fifty. Really nice guitar amp. Sounds great. It's a tube amp. It's my first two. Well, it's not. Not technically my first tube amp, but it's the first one I've got made for for what the music I play, and the thing sounds amazing. It's just it's a lot to move around, so yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, I have no idea what you were talking about. Right so now. EVH stands for straight over my head. EVH stands for Eddie Van. Our audience is like, where's the politics? EVH, I'm He's talking gonna, about his amp. He's in love with. It. I'm gonna say this. EVH stands for Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Jesus. Good Lord. So we start off the podcast with some solemn news. Unfortunately, yesterday we learned of the death of Sandra Deal, the the wife of Governor, former Governor Nathan Deal, which I'm sure I know it impacted a lot of our friends, people we who were close to the deals when they served in office, both before he was governor when he was in Congress and even even after. So our condolences to the Deal family and because who are no doubt going through a very, very tough time right now. So yeah. guys, I don't know if you want to jump in and, and send along yours as well, but I know Governor Deal. I, I met Governor Deal on a couple of different occasions. Very, very nice man who who was passionate about public policy, passionate about his legislative agenda. I never had the the pleasure of meeting Sandra Deal, but everybody I know who knew her was very, very complimentary and appreciative appreciative of her. So, Buzz, I'll let you if you want to jump in. Yeah, I had the opportunity uh, a couple times when she came to Gwinnett County to to do stuff, to be invited. You know, got the opportunity to talk to her a few times. I certainly would never claim that I was close to her, but she just, just my observations and how she treated folks at those events, a very humble person, a very caring person, very genuine, always came across very genuine. I, it's kind of tough for political wives, but she 
I don't know that she was overly involved in, in Governor Deal's activities, but not, but also not just there along with the ride. She, she was an active part of it. And, but sometimes wives are kind of forced into the spotlight when that's not really what they sought. But she was a very gracious lady, and yeah, and you could just tell the way the way they you know you can look and see couples and the way they interact with each other. That the governor Deal really really loved her, and I'm sure he's hurting right now. So yeah, I I join with you, Jason. I'm at my hot my prayers and are with uh, the Deal family and her friends. Scott, there are two memories for me stand out like personally. The first is there was a time that. Governor Deal allowed uh, Sandra to take the microphone at the rostrum. And I think it was late in a session where the governor always came in late on Sine Die to say, you know, keep pushing through to midnight. You guys are on the right track. We've done a lot of good. And it was like, a, it's always a rah-rah type of situation. And Sandra Deal came in one one time, and I think that was, it was on a Sine Die. And, and she took the microphone and she goes, I just love being first lady. <laughs> and you know she's she's emanated charm and class and grace and the other time the, and i posted this picture it was actually taken by jan jones the speaker pro tem and michael caldwell and i were both state reps at the time and we kind of photobombed this photo of her just playing with greg bluestein's child's feet in a photo like anytime there was a baby in a crowd she made a beeline like a grandmother would just to say hi to the baby, you know, and Bluestein's there with a big old grin because he's wearing the child on the and a carrier on his front side there <laughs> across his chest, and the child seems to be enjoying interacting with her. And it's that kind of kindness is just. And you see in the background, Caldwell and I are just smiling ear to ear because she was just so yeah. entertaining okay, just not. by being herself. You know, she was an yeah. awesome. Yeah. Right. She was an awesome human being. And our state is a better place because she served as our first lady and she did yeah. it very well and she'll be missed, I'm sure. Yeah. And so I join with both of you in offering thoughts and prayers. Um, I know it can't be easy. She battled cancer for a yeah. long time. And but, you know, you know, people of faith take solace in these times as well because they know it's up. So I, I yeah. my thoughts and prayers are out for the deal family. You know, great lady. Yeah. Well, so moving on to some more hot button political topics, because we have several things to discuss. And the first one, big news, you know, I think in Kentucky, there's there's been some prosecutions related to the murder of Breonna Taylor mm -hmm. and what was a no knock uh, raid situation in, in, in Georgia, though. Uh, Pete Scandalakis has uh, opted not to prosecute the, the police officers who were involved in the shooting of Rayshard Brooks. For those of you who don't remember mm -hmm. this, this happened, I think. I think it was summer of 2020 where this gentleman, Richard Brooks, was, I think he was asleep in his car in a Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta. No, he was in the drive-thru. Drive okay. Yeah. A key point. He fell asleep That's at right. the wheel at, in the drive-thru. I had the sleep part right, right. but the, the police approached him. He They started interrogating him or started talking to him, not, not in a hostile way, just trying to talk to him. And then they were going to arrest him for being under the influence. He ran off. He managed to grab the taser of one of the police officers. And in the heat of the moment, I'm sure they didn't realize whether it was a taser or a firearm. Be that as it may, he turned uh, and basically acted like he was going to shoot one of them with, with the taser. And the officer, he actually pulled the trigger and fired it at them. And the officers responded by shooting him and killing him. So you know, and I think a lot of us who who were very concerned about the, the the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and then the death, the murder of Breonna Taylor, as well as the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey. At least those of us who who don't 
have a sort of hive mind, we're looking at this and saying this one is fundamentally different from the rest of these. Mm-hmm. And because you can you can say in the heat of the moment, you weren't sure what he had in his hand. It, you would you know. So yeah, I think you, you know you, you can second guess all day long, but I think in a situation like this, mm-hmm. where the perpetrator or alleged perpetrator is is killed, sometimes officers are involved in these situations and they don't you don't have time to second guess yourself because second second guessing mm-hmm. yourself may mean you're dead and it's unfortunate that it happened but you know i i i agree with the decision not to prosecute these two police officers scott this happened the same time roughly that the the news came out of south georgia with other police officers who the story is slipping my mind all of a sudden the south georgia brunswick area case where the former police officers hunted down the guy and called I'm him at Arbery. Arbery. Yeah. Yeah. Ahmed I'm, Arbery. Arbery. I'm so sorry to our audience for having a brain fart right there. Uh, that's ridiculous of me. So Ahmad Arbery's case came to light shortly before Rayshard Brooks had this mm-hmm. uh, occurrence happen in the Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta. Uh, there were a lot of high emotions at the time. The legislature was contemplating hate crimes legislation at the time as well. And there were a lot of people who jumped to the conclusion that these police officers were guilty of murder. A lot of people, including members of the legislature who were pushing that hate crimes legislation, who stood at the front of the chamber in the House on the Republican side and said that these people were evil. And the totality of the evidence in the case was such that they did make a split-second decision. Who knows what this guy was capable of? He wrestled with the two police officers, was able to free himself from two police officers, grabbed one of their weapons, ran away, and fired it at them as he was running away. That is not the same as Ahmad Ivory being hunted down in cold blood. It's not the same. It's not the same as Breonna Taylor. It's not the same as George, George Floyd having somebody put their knee in his neck for 15, 20, however long minutes. It was. It's not the same. The mayor, former mayor of Atlanta, Alicia Kent, uh, Lance Bottoms. Alicia Lance Bottoms. Yep. Yes. Had had this instantaneous reaction of trying to fire these guys. She tried them in her own mind. She she played the the role of judge and jury for them before they even had an investigation completed. She went in front of the media and she called them mm-hmm. out and she fired them and they have begun suing the the city because of that and i think that they have a solid case now pete scandalakis i know because he and i are on the opposite sides of the civil asset forfeiture debate he always advocates for the status quo whenever i have tried to bring forward some sort of reform in civil asset forfeiture but he's an honest person and he it was going to prosecute if he did in fact find a crime that had been committed but he did a thorough amount of he, he did his checks and balances he, he ran the traps he looked at all the evidence at the end of the day decided that there was nothing to prosecute these guys because it's not the same as the other cases and here you know we try to call balls and strikes as much as we can we definitely have our own biases we try to make sure you know about them but in this particular case i don't know any of these people but reading the, what i've known from the beginning you could tell it wasn't the same. Yeah. So I'm happy for the police officers. Maybe they can get their lives back to some level of normalcy. Buzz? Yeah, I I, I, uh, I tend to agree that this, this was the right call. It was a tough call, and all these things are tough. And I certainly understand, you know, I think 
here we are, three white guys, uh, talking about an officer-involved shooting where a black man is dead. And I understand, you know, that the family wants justice. The family wants somebody to pay for the death of their loved one, and that's, you know, that that's a natural instinct, and that's that's, you know, the calls for justice are, are their right to make those calls. But it it is it is different, and I think I, I only caught a couple minutes of Pete Scandalax's conference, but that's what he reiterated over and over that this was different than these other cases that we saw, where especially focusing on the cases where officers uh, acted badly. And, you know, obviously in the George Floyd case, they were held accountable. Those officers were held accountable and are still being held accountable. And now, uh, after some time, uh, the officers in, in the Breonna Taylor case, we'll see, they'll go before a jury. They'll have, they'll have their day in court, but we'll see how that all turns out. But it is different, it is hard. It, and I'm sure that this was painful for the family and friends of Rayshard Brooks to hear, but I think it was the right call. So this is reminding me of my trip down to South Georgia to to the to St. Simon's Island and Jekyll Island back in in June because I went to I, I don't know if it's pronounced Satilla or Satilla Shores, Georgia, where I actually went to the neighborhood Maude Arbery was was shot and killed. <clears throat> Driving through that neighborhood, the street he was killed. There's no memorial. There's no, there's, there's no nothing. You wouldn't know anything ever happened there. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, I, I think I've said this before on this podcast and elsewhere that I, I don't believe qualified immunity should exist. It has no basis in constitutional law. And in fact, in fact, it flies against existing federal statute. It's, I think, 26 USC 1983 or 1984 that allows the citizens to sue state and local federal officials who violate their rights. And unfortunately the Supreme Court, which I, I swear to God, I thought I thought we all hated court made court made doctrine like qualified immunity, but not when it serves you know, our the people who are who who, who our tribe likes. You know, and I, I really I'm glad to see justice be served in the case of Ahmad Aubrey. Uh, I just wish his neighbors or the people in that community would as well. Especially especially that specific neighborhood. But in this instance, you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms went out of her way to demonize these these two officers without without fully vetting the facts. They were already predetermined to be guilty in the court of public opinion before they ever had a day in court. And, you know, they're not going to have a day in court now because they're not going to prosecute. But hopefully yeah. they'll get their day in civil court. Buzz? And I, th- I think we should, we should point out that Paul Howard was involved here, the former Fulton County District Attorney. He very quickly, you know, well before the GBI, who always investigates officer-involved shootings, well before the GBI investigated, he's filing charges and having them arrested, these two officers arrested. And that, you know, we have to put that all in context, that was in the middle of a campaign that he eventually lost to uh, Fonnie Willis. Uh, so, So there was politics involved there, too. Sure. Uh, especially in the case of Paul Howard. It, and, so. I, and, I, and I can get I can get to some degree, you know, because you don't want a similar situation in mm-hmm. in Atlanta. I mean, you obviously you had the protests in Atlanta and elsewhere around the country, not just up in the, the sure. Twin Cities, not just in Louisville with the, the murder of Breonna Taylor. You, you were going to have those situations regardless. But I can understand trying to, you know, to CYA a little bit and, and to take steps to you know, place them on administrative leave, whatever the case may be, which is, mm-hmm. I think, my understanding is usually what's done in a, with an officer or officer involved shooting mm-hmm. until the facts are discovered. But it was reaction. And it's, you know, law, law enforcement is not just police officers. It's also district attorneys and public defenders and yeah. 
so on and so forth. And this was a failure of the criminal justice system at large because of the concern of fear of public backlash. And I understand it. It doesn't make it right. You know, yeah. And, you know, with Rayshard Brooks, look, should he have lost his life? No. But but it was, you know, in a situation like that, you know, and I say this is someone like my father was a police officer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can understand the officer's point of view. You, you have seconds to react, if not if seconds yeah. and or you're potentially dead. And I get it. But, you know, it's 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 tough. It's a tough situation. It's a tough call. And, no I one's, mean, a, a, yeah. a lot of there was a lot of tragedy flowing out of all of this because then you had that very bizarre situation where there was more or less an encampment around an armed encampment with, with certain people being armed. Um, and then, of course, uh, not long after that, the tragic murder of Sikor, young Sequoia Turner, who I believe was eight years old. Yep. At the time, yep. he was murdered because of that. You had you have allegations and probably some pretty good evidence that there was a blue flu going on in reaction to the mayor's immediate firing and Paul Howard's uh, prosecu- attempted prosecution of these two. So it was just a lot of bad yeah. things flowed out of all of this, and it's just yeah, and I re- you know yeah. I remember the, the the blue flu thing because I had friends of mine who didn't who didn't know where I they knew I lived in Metro Atlanta they didn't they thought I lived in Atlanta itself, and they're texting me they're like, you know are you are you guys gonna be okay up there do you, like do you have a do you have a gun or anything I'm like I live 35 <laughs> miles from downtown like I'm fine you know I actually had a constituent of mine who was a police officer tell me that when we went back because COVID delayed legislative session we had to break it up into two parts right we suspended mm-hmm. our session took some couple months off and then went back in the summer months during the middle of all of this and i had a police officer who lived in my district call me and tell me do not be in atlanta after dark <laughs> like leave there and go directly home do not stay around the capital do not stay in atlanta hmm. yeah because of the blue flu interesting yeah. Well, moving on to well, moving on to more prosecutions that may happen at some point in time. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting better at segues, guys. I don't know if you noticed that. I'm getting better at segues. That was, that was pretty good. <laughs> You're a pro. There seems to be uh, a back and forth going on between between Fonnie Willis, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis, and Governor Brian Kemp over his maybe test testimony, probably maybe not testimony that could occur in this in this investigation into essentially into Donald Trump and his cohorts. So the the gist of the matter is uh, Kemp has has filed a motion to quash uh, the subpoena to testify. The Fonnie Willis's office has uh, filed uh, uh, a response to that motion and I have I have a lot of thoughts on well, I have some thoughts on this, but I'm going to let I'm going to let Buzz go first here and get his two cents before I turn over to Scott and then I'll jump in with my two cents and they can tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, I, mean, I it, it's just interesting to me because Kemp is not a witness on behalf of Donald Trump and his activities. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what she wants to know from him. And I, I guess maybe I'm wrong, but I thought he had already provided testimony, either by video or, or written testimony. I, I don't understand what, no, you know, what, what does she want from him. I, uh, that's, that's what's puzzling me to... Yeah, you know, the, the legal stuff. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, whatever, they'll sort that all out. But uh, what does she hope to gain by dragging him? And it, it, to me, it makes it look more political. Here he is in the in the, in the waning days of the campaign. She's trying to drag the governor before a grand jury, all wrapped up with all this mess. Scott, what happened was the governor had agreed to sit down by a videotape okay. with a lawyer by his side, 
he asked for the questions in advance. They had negotiated this and the in a memo that she filed in her subpoena, she claims that they have a policy of not giving questions in advance. And this was all kind of spurred by this comment at one of the Trump rallies where Donald Trump said that he called Brian Kemp and tried to get him to give him a second chance. And based on that comment, she's asked for the governor to come and explain those conversations that she had with President Trump. He had with President Trump to try to say, try to figure out if there were was undue influence, if there were threats made or if there was a potential crime. That's Fannie Willis's perspective and what she's looking for. It, it's also he okay. wants, she wants to know if she wants to know if there are any potential conversations that Kemp had with Raffensperger as well. Because well, at the end of the day, they didn't do anything illegal. They're not right. targets of this right. investigation. And the the governor has, through his attorney, attempted to be cooperative. Let's not forget right. that Fannie Willis is a Democrat and she is mm-hmm. a partisan hack. And she's been already she's already been admonished by the court for her partisanship. And I'm going to point back to an article that I wrote on Peach Pundit on October 5th of last year. I'm going to read the last two paragraphs here. And this is how I wrapped up. I said, I'm not going to get into the debate about whether Trump committed a crime or not. However, I will point out that Fannie, Fannie Willis is a Democrat and we live in highly partisan times. Holding her investigation of Trump to a time it would be politically advantageous to announce charges would be a politically smart yet decidedly wicked move. If she has the time and resources to continue her investigation of Trump, then for the good of the country, she needs to get on with it and bring it to some sort of conclusion. We have some very serious problems facing our country, and in Fulton County, that means a huge backlog of unprosecuted cases. If we're going to focus on these problems, we're going to need to move on from 2020 as quickly as possible. Fannie Willis can do her part by either getting on with it or moving on from it. But waiting until the political timing is right, we contribute in a real way to the polarized nature of politics in America, and that is another problem. In October of last year, at Peach Pundit, we were saying that she is dragging her feet on this on these proceedings to make the timing so that it would line up with the election. It, we are in August of an election year. We are in the heat of battle between Stacey Abrams and Governor Brian Kemp. And she is trying to put her finger on the scale in favor of Stacey Abrams. It's clear to me. Now, you know I'm a Republican. I play for the for the red team, right? So you know where my biases are. He is as he in the, in the technical term in the technical term Scott is a Republican hack. <laughs> right. But I'm not hiding it. In her memo to to Kemp, she says that calling this politically motivated means that you're being dishonest, which is a load of crap, right? Because her her actions throughout this process, she did not start this until it was going to line up with with the election. She had an opportunity to to move much quicker on this, and she didn't. Meanwhile, four or five hundred cases, according to her own words, murder cases are waiting to be prosecuted among the murder cases. And she had this huge backlog because of the pandemic. And she's decided to spend all this time and resources on this at a time when it lines up with the election. It is it is purely politically motivated. I do not blame Governor Kemp for calling her out for it. And I don't blame him for pushing back and saying, look, let's wait until after the election. Because at this point, if that's really what your interest is, is whether or not you want to know the contents of these conversations, wait. Wait until the election is over. Otherwise, it just looks like at this point, because you have waited so long, 
that you are just trying to put the thumb on the scale for Stacey Abrams. There's a point Scott touched on that I would love to sort of jump in and, and talk about for just a quick second. I do have some other points that I do want to respond to. And the first one is, um, the first one is, and I wrote these down, I pre-wrote these down because I think Scott's right in this, in the sense that she's already looked bad on one occasion when she tried to subpoena Burt Jones after hosting a fundraiser for his Democratic opponent, as Scott notes. Uh, a judge did sort of criticize her for that and said, what were you thinking? And, and clearly, clearly in the right for basically saying you can't question him. So th- there's that element of it. And I so I if Scott had just written a Supreme Court opinion, I would have would have concurred in part and dissented in part. And, and <laughs> so that's that's the part I agree with. And then I also also don't like something Willis said publicly. She she suggested that Kip had something to hide. She said, you repeatedly referring to it as a politically motivated investigation only proves you have become very comfortable with being dishonest. That is that is a political <laughs> that is a political statement that is that has no bearing on the facts of the, of the investigation that is and also it's it's prejudicial as well it's you're basically saying they have something to hide it's like when someone takes the fifth amendment you're saying well you have something to hide therefore that's why you're not going to answer the question that just because someone take this, takes the fifth amendment under our constitutional system it does not mean that they have done something wrong so and i'll say this i will say kemp i think has some political motivation not to cooperate and i'm not saying he's He's not in the right here. I'm not saying he's in the wrong, but he does have political motivation not to cooperate. And he's he's fighting the DA targeting Trump, uh, a Democratic DA who's targeting Trump, and what will what is undoubtedly a criminal matter, a criminal investigation that could lead to the prosecution of a former president, not to mention other Republicans in the state and elsewhere, potentially, including someone like Rudy Giuliani or even a sitting United States senator, uh, Lindsey Graham. And he also risks, if he does cooperate, he risks losing Trump's base, which is also Kemp's base, because it would make him look like he is he is still you know, voluntarily going in there to answer questions. Now, of course, he's been subpoenaed, but good luck explaining that to you know the fact-free Donald Trump who will undoubtedly criticize him for complying with the subpoena so uh, I'll point that stuff out and the one thing I want to say about that Scott said related to unprosecuted homicides I think there are many things and I think I've mentioned on the podcast before there are many things you can point to and say the reason we're seeing increases in homicides and in, in, in to a lesser degree violent crime everything from the pandemic to economic disruptions that have hurt people hurt communities around the country, especially already disadvantaged communities around the country, to political violence and political disagreements in the country that have just gotten boiled over. One other thing that doesn't get a lot of attention is clearance rates. Mm -hmm. Clearance rates for for violent crime have have declined over the years, and and they have taken another decline in, in recent years, especially since the pandemic. So the best way to deter violent crime is to prosecute violent crime. And it, you, it's hard to prosecute violent crime when only 55% of those cases are actually being adjudicated. Uh, or and, by, and when I say adjudicated, I'm talking about uh, clearance is defined by arrest. So when you're making arrests for in only 55% of those cases, that's a real problem. And it's happening not just in, I mean, I've looked at the numbers. It's not just happening in urban areas. It's happening across the country, including rural areas, too. So, in, as well as the increase in violent crime, it's happening in rural, happening in rural uh, areas as well. So, uh, I'll say all that. And, and one thing else, one other thing I'll say is, like, you know, I, 
I try to be sort of the middle ground on the podcast between between one <laughs> obvious Republican hack and one and one more, you know, Scott not quasi Republican hack. I was I was gonna, I was going to say more reasoned conservative hack. Oh, oh no, he's a Republican hack in name only. According, <laughs> to, according to Facebook, I've, I've watched Buzz, Buzz's Facebook with some amusement over the past two years, and Buzz is a Republican hack in name only. <laughs> Literally spelled Rhino, actually. So that that said that said, I mean, I, I you know. I would like to see this matter come to come to an end, but you don't know what it, what you're going to find in the course of an investigation, which is why the January 6th thing has become so interesting because they're finding new stuff every time they talk to a new witness, particularly someone who who had who had a chance to witness things and see things that happen in the West Wing. Some of those things are hearsay. Some of those are credible allegations of, of you know, obstruction or you know, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I understand that something like this that you know whether she intended intended for it to be a quick investigation or not who knows but you go where the investigation leads you and and as information comes in potentially the 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 targets expand and and look i don't agree with everyone she's targeting i think she's targeting some people who didn't know that they were potentially doing something that was potentially prosecutable Mm -hmm. some of the electors the 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 alternate slate of electors the fraudulent state of electors i don't think that they knew they were doing anything illegal i don't think they should be prosecuted i don't even think they should be threatened to be prosecuted but all that said i think as information comes out you go where it goes and in that if that means you keep investigating you keep investigating but the, the fact of the matter is um, she's eventually going to have to wrap this up, and it does look bad that she's doing this. Yep. We're going into Labor Day. Labor Day is is what a week and a half away, and that's when voters are yep. really going to start yes. paying attention. Yep. And I, yeah, right. and so I mean, just, Justice Department, the Federal Justice Department has a, I don't know if it's a formal policy or how, but it's it's certainly in practice that as you get close to an election, maybe it's around Labor Day, sixty days, ninety days, somewhere in that range, they. They don't people for that very reason. They don't want to be uh, prejudicing uh, for or against, you know, being pre. Well, let me rephrase that. They don't want to be influencing the election for or against any candidates. And that that was that was why what James Comey did to Hillary Clinton was so unprecedented and outrageous. It was uh, it was within that uh, that time frame. The Justice Department normally keeps their mouth shut. Now, you know, Fonnie Willis is not in the Justice Department, but the same principle applies. As you get close to elections, prosecutors be doing things that that could be interpreted to be political and in, in trying to influence. And I, I will. And the other thing I'll point, the last thing I'll point out, this coincides with there was an article in the Hill about how uh, maybe it was the Hill. The, I might be wrong about that, but there's an article about how Democrats are having a hard time winning back these people who crossed over uh, to vote for Kemp and Raffensperger in the primary. And so Abrams has started changing her rhetoric to say, look, you know, not committing treason doesn't make you a good guy. And that, and she's, of course, referring to Kemp, that just because he didn't commit treason mean he's a good person. That's all. This is So this is all happening all at the same time. So that just, uh, I think that's... We need to really have a, a good conversation one day about definitions. And, and <laughs> do I, who, you know, I think what happened on January 6th, to some degree, might, may have been considered an attempted coup. It wasn't an organized attempted coup. That's for damn sure. But but if if, if yeah, it keeps on cops. If a governor sends in an alternate slate of alternate slate of electors, whoever is presiding, I mean, first of all, it can be contested whether the elect 
they do some sort of reform to the specific act that governs the counting of electoral votes is another question. They're working on that, but there are there are ways to to address that issue through the legal system. Treason treason is a very 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 strong word for for this for that sort of a situation. I think we need to tone down some of the rhetoric. But speaking of people who are in legal hot water and potentially in Fulton County, Senator Lindsey Graham, who I mentioned earlier, he's still trying to still trying to quash the subpoena that that has been filed uh, for his testimony in Fulton County, and he's relying solely on the uh, speech and debate clause of the Constitution as part of his defense. And I I am not convinced here that he's that he is not going to have to testify, and that and and I'm basing that solely on what Raffensperger, Raffensperger said after he called him. And according and reading from CNN here, this is quoting Raffensperger. He asked, he meaning Senator Graham, asked if ballots could be matched back to the voters. And then he got, then, and then I got the sense that it implied that you could throw out those, throw those out for, or this is not very well worded. You could throw those out and look, look at the counties with the highest frequent errors of signatures. So the impression that, that Raffensperger got essentially is that Graham was trying to see if you could do a signature match and if, and then you start throwing people out. And he's, he, he later added, it was just an implication of look hard and see how many ballots you could throw out. So, I don't think that that's something that's covered by the speech or debate clause. It's one thing to say, did you find any irregularities? What were those irregularities? Uh, how many instances of fraud do you have? Is it fraud on a wide scale? Uh, do you think it's enough for us to go and challenge the count, the counting of Georgia's electoral votes when it comes before Congress on January 6th? That is one thing. And, you know, and maybe Graham, being a, a lawyer, worded it in a way that it was, you know, he was asking without asking. Maybe that's Raff, what Raffensperger is mm-hmm. saying. But the message is in is in the eye of the beholder. Well, you, you used the word, the magic word, when you quoted Raffensperger there. He said, I got the implication that. That's what he right? that's what he so inferred. That indicates to me. Right. He, yeah. That's what he got out of the, the line of questioning. But it's also possible that Raffensperger didn't understand the actual meaning, which is one of the reasons why maybe Lindsey Graham should come and talk. Right. <laughs> what did you mean when you asked these questions? I think is a fair question to ask. Mm-hmm. That being said, I don't know that it'll actually show up. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be uh, on the hook for this or not. I, I, I will watch uh, with my popcorn ready when it does happen to see you know, what ultimately comes out of this when we find out whenever what was actually said. I can say that from what I read initially, and I'm no gigantic Lindsey Graham fan, but it seemed to me like he was asking questions about the state of Georgia law and what was possible. And asking questions as a U.S. senator of, you know, what what are your laws? How do you implement them to the secretary of state? How do you enforce these laws? Were there instances, as had been rumored at the time, of tens of thousands of voters who were out of state and were no longer mm-hmm. legally supposed to be registered in Georgia voting? Those are all questions that were, at, at, at the time, in the forefront and minds of a lot of people, not just Lindsey Graham, not just Donald Trump, but a lot of Republican voters who ultimately did not turn out for the runoff election with Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, for example. A lot of people had those questions. I remember people bringing forward documents showing that people had filed for change of address, but they had not been removed from voter rolls, that their addresses were not accurate. I'd seen tens of thousands of examples of that when they were investigated it 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 
didn't hold much water. There were reasonable explanations. There were other, other things that were mitigating to those claims. But at the time, there were a lot of people who had a lot of questions. And I think Lindsey Graham was asking this. He was elected. He was a senator. He's on committees that are of importance in the, in the U.S. Senate. He took it upon himself to ask these questions directly because he had that ability. You know, when you are in the, in the legislature at any level, you have the one of your powers that's unwritten is the power to summon, which means I would like to have a meeting with you. So because of my position as a representative of the people, in this case, a U.S. senator representing the states, have an interest. And, and they also have the unwritten authority to say, hey, can you talk to me about this and get that meeting? And I think that's what happened here in the best case scenario, right? It's possible that he was trying to influence. It's possible, right? I don't know. I wasn't there, wasn't in the room, but I also see a lot of wiggle room for him too. Buzz? Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I think there, there probably is a lot of wiggle room. Lindsey Graham is a, a savvy politician. It's hard for me to believe that he actually committed a crime. But I, you know, stepping back, all of this stuff, these investigations, yes, I, I, if there was criminality, if there was an illegal attempt to pressure Georgia elections officials, I want them held accountable. But w- when you, all of this stuff that's going on, and you include the January 6th investigation, the raid in Mar-a-Lago, and all sorts of stuff that's happening, it, it, it sometimes feels like, you know, it's, it's not illegal to believe the election is stolen. It's not sure. illegal to believe uh, any man, you in the United States of America, you can believe the stupidest thing you want to believe. You can do that. That's not a crime. There is and a it's flat. not a crime for the president of the United States to believe. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a crime to believe, if, even if you're Donald Trump, that the election was stolen and he was wrong. That's not illegal. And and I, I hope that we don't get to a place. Yeah, and look, you know, I'm on record. I, I've been called. You know, I, I don't think the election was stolen. I think uh, we lost. Donald Trump lost fair and square, and that's just the way it is. And nothing that I have seen has, has changed my mind. Not even two thousand mules. None of that stuff has changed my mind <laughs> that the election that that Joe Biden won the election. That's that's the that's in my mind that, that, that there's incontrovertible evidence that that's the case. But I, I worry that in in the in the rush for Democrats to they, they've let me rephrase it this way. They have made Donald Trump, in their minds, in some of their minds, is the worst human being that has ever stepped foot on the face of the earth. And they must do anything and everything to stop him from gaining power uh, again in the United States. And I don't want him to be president again either. Millions and millions of Republicans don't want him to be president again. But the more that this goes on, the more they persecute him and and they're playing into his hands. You, You saw it after the raid. And the FBI raid, Republicans have rallied to him. And at what point do you say, at what point should Democrats say, you know what, if, if either there's evidence of a crime here or there's not, going after electors here in Georgia, trying to drag the governor in there, trying, you know, trying to drag all this kind of stuff. Democrats are, are, some of these Democrats are almost becoming as guilty as the, as, as the ultra MAGA people of not being able to move past 2020. Now, you know, and I'll right. and I'll say this: given what we know about the raid thus far, the FBI raid specifically, I don't. I think you need to have a hell of an explanation, and I would love to see what's in that affidavit that how they got the warrant. But based on what little yeah. we do know about what was recovered, I think it was entirely justified. 
because you're talking about, you know, I think it was 700 pages of documents. There were some of those, many of those, or that may have been the ones that were just labeled top secret um, or secret at the very least. And so there's that. And then, guys, you're also looking, I mean, you know, I sent you guys the, that tweet from David Wasserman, Dave Wasserman earlier today, that people are revising their estimates of, of yeah. their prognosticators are revising their estimates of what to expect this fall, saying it's going to be, you know, you know, uh, 10 seat flip in the house that yeah. that gives republicans a majority you know but it's not a big majority by any stretch of the imaginations in the last no. two polls the last two polls that that do uh generic ballot show democrats up five and it's and, you know we yeah, were no, we, the republicans you, are absolutely playing into the hands of the democrats on this well, the, my, the my, democrats my, want the election to be about trump and and so do ultra MAGA, and the republicans are playing right into their hands but i think i think there are a couple <laughs> different but i think there are a couple of different different reasons why you know, I, I look at you look at three. I look at three main ones: the Supreme Court decision. Two is a string of legislative successes that the administrations had, mm-hmm. and third, Trump fatigue, especially as it relates yeah. to the FBI raid. People are tired of hearing about him. They want him to go away. And you can sit here and tell: look, inflation is nearly ten percent, ten percent inflation. People are you know, it, it, and you had a candidate in New York who had a winnable seat who focused on that he focused on crime and he still lost yeah so you know yeah scott scott that, that's, wanna... that's why some i mean look eric erickson has talked talked me off the ledge eric says that this is just the summer polling that always favors democrats and soon we'll see that turn around in favor of republicans and and that you know polls tend to skew toward democrats and there, there's some truth to that patrick graffini a uh, big data guy put together a whole spreadsheet that shows state by state yeah what the skew is of going back to 2012 toward Democrats, almost I, universal. But, I want to come yeah, back to You're right. The, I mean, there's a lot of Republicans who are panicked thinking we're blowing it. I, I want to come back to this conversation in a second because we're going to talk about uh, something else, but we're going to talk about Herschel Walker in a second because I have a point to make there. But, you know, we were talking about election, election issues, especially around the, the, the 2020 election. The, the, company, the company that was involved with essentially – Stealing this data says they did nothing wrong. So, yeah, Ridiculous. Scott, I'm going to let you take it from here. So uh, Atlanta-based tech firm Sullivan Strickler issued some statements re- since our last podcast. We talked about them before that when they went down to Coffee County and copied all of the all of the voter information data and election software that they had no reason to believe they were breaking the law. That is a bunch of hooey, man. <laughs> I look. I don't know how you are in the IT industry at any level and don't understand that you do not have the right to copy proprietary software yeah. for anything, whether it's a copy of Microsoft Word or anything, anything at all, especially election server software. Yeah. That is the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever heard anybody in the IT industry say is, oh, you know, we didn't know that we weren't allowed to (laughs) make copies of stuff we weren't allowed to have. (laughs) It's ridiculous for them to say that. I think they understand that they're getting ready to be raided. I think they understand that they are probably the focus of a criminal investigation. And here's my take on this. If they did commit a crime, they should be held accountable. If Sidney Powell committed a crime she needs to be held accountable because she actually instigated this she paid for it it's it's almost like she hired a hitman 
you know, she's still just as guilty in this if this mm-hmm. is what has actually what has been reported is true. And we have no reason to believe that they didn't because there's documents now that show that they billed her for it and she paid them for it. This was a hit job, right? It was totally a hit job. They're the hit man. She's the person who hired the hit man. She needs to be held accountable too. Scott, you know you know this about civil asset forfeiture just, just as much as any, you know anybody who works on the issue. But if if the proceeds the proceeds are connected to a crime, those proceeds proceeds are seizable and are alleged to be a part mm-hmm. of some sort of illicit activity. The proceeds are seizable. Not only that, I mean, you know, if we're looking at any sort of investigation, anything used in the commission of that crime, the vehicles that they went down, the the computers, the the servers they housed the the illicit data on their their office space that they operated from all of it is subject their furniture all of it is subject under that and and don't you wish you had the right to be innocent until proven guilty in a civil proceeding and we in in looking looking if this if this were a drug ring uh, you know i mean sydney powell would be the kingpin i mean and we were she is you know i mean you know, so here we here we have a kingpin who's who, frankly speaking, and I say this not because I disagree with her. I say this because this, I mean, this is allegedly criminal activity. If she funded it, yeah, prosecutor. prosecutor. The, the drug the drug was called the drug was called Kraken. <laughs> well done. That was well, well played. Yeah. So well Her- played. Herschel Walker. I'm impressed with you, Bus Brockway. Boston Rockway. <laughs> Walker doesn't want to debate. He doesn't not just not want to oh debate. He doesn't, Talk he, doesn't, he doesn't want to debate like in a, like near the area where he grew up. So <laughs> I don't really know. Like, I mean, you're leaving. It's going to be a stage with Senator Raphael Warnock, Chase Oliver, the Libertarian Party nominee for, for U.S. Senate. And I mean, should there be an empty podium? In, yeah. in the Macon market, too. We're not talking about a tiny rural area. We're talking about one of the more populous areas of the yep. state where he has said that he's not going to go debate. And he said that he wasn't going to go debate because Sunday night football would be competing with him. But the debate's scheduled for a Thursday. You said you said earlier about you mentioned about how Republicans are starting to fall behind. And I, my response in our text message today was, this is what happens when you nominate crappy candidates. <laughs> we, we have a crappy candidate. We do. And we, 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 let's just, I didn't vote for him. I said so. The reason why is because of this. I was afraid that this would happen. And yeah. we're in this situation where we had a winnable seat. And we, we nominated a guy because he won a Heisman football trophy and a national championship for UGA when I was five years old, I mean, I was I was like a week old, <sighs> right? I mean, but somehow this makes him qualified to be our nominee for the U.S. Senate. And I'm sorry, we had a really qualified field, whether it was Gary Back Black or Latham Sadler or Kelvin King. These these guys knew know what they're doing compared to Herschel at this point. He's not showing me anything, and I'm scared now. I'm scared. And and this for next time, let's not nominate a Republican just because they're famous. Please, yeah. can we can we get off this celebrity train, Buzz. please? It's hurting us. No, I I agree, and I think there, there's you look around the country, these Senate uh, people that are falling behind. Several of them are in the same same situation as Herschel. They're 
they're celebrities of you know, you know to a certain level, but and most importantly, they're first-time candidates who've never run for any. They never run for even dog catcher or city council or nothing, and that that makes a difference. That you know that that makes a difference. And you know, Trump was a unicorn in that. A guy who'd never run for office before, but and, and was able to win. First-time candidates often have a hard time, especially when they're running for a, such a high-profile and important job. And yeah, I think you know we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, how big of a factor this is in the minds of voters. You know, I don't know. Not many people watch debates, but but it's different. This is the first time that I can recall where you've had a, a race of this high profile where somebody didn't debate. I, I guess Purdue. And of course, John Ossoff made hay out of that. Tim, you know, helped Ossoff craft a narrative. And I, I would imagine that the Democrats are going to, you know, Warnock is a smart dude, and his campaign is smart people. They're going to craft a narrative around this that's going to that that could be very damaging to Herschel. One, there are a couple of quick things I want to note here too. One, this debate is scheduled for October thirteenth, so we're talking less than a month before voters go to the polls to cast their ballots, and that doesn't include obviously advance voting and absentee voting. The other, the other thing about it is like, as I've said before, I will say it again. I still get Georgia Market Television on Direct TV stream, and I am seeing nothing but nothing, nothing but her Raphael Warnock ads. That is, I mean, yeah, that pounding, the, pounding Herschel, pounding Herschel. him day, daily. I'm seeing outside, yep. ad, you know, seeing, seeing a couple outside ads that do the same thing. And it's nothing but crickets from both the Walker campaign and the NRSC as well as outside. It, it, there, yep. there are some action ads from outside groups that I'm seeing hitting Warnock for voting for, you know, you yeah. know various Democratic bills that fund that fund things in other states. And, you know, those ads may or may not be effective. But, you know, yeah. nobody's hearing from the candidate himself, and, and that's the important part here. Yeah. Mitch McConnell, if, if, I, if I'm if i correct, is is pouring uh, maybe $28 million yeah. into this race, Mitch McConnell. And, and he's I don't doing the same was, I don't, in other I don't was, these other Senate races. Yeah, I know he was pouring that much in Ohio. I don't know how much he was pouring into Georgia. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's pumping some multiple millions into this race. Donald Trump, is, who, despite raising, hundred, you know, tens of millions, is not – spending a penny of it to help any of these candidates he's endorsed but that's another matter so yeah i mean some help will come and and you know i think they're you can get away with this for a little bit longer because you know as as was noted labor day is coming up and people are going to are mm-hmm. really going to start paying attention you can already request absentee ballots so f- some folks are already paying attention because you know, they're yeah. requesting their absentee ballots but i don't know man this, this i mean herschel's got a I, I think he's done better we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks the gaffes are fewer. There was a gaff this past week about, you know, we got too many, we got enough trees already, so we yeah. don't need to help the environment. But, you know, other than that, he, he seems to have cut down on the gaffes. And I was hopeful that that would mean that he would be ready to stand on the stage because the bar's so low for him. All he's got to do is not yeah. look like a, a crazy person. So uh, let me. But if you're not me... going to be on the stage, you can't even hur- jump that hurdle. And so let me ask you guys a quick question because I, I think, because I've laid out. I have a spreadsheet and I've gone through three different scenarios on control of the U.S. Senate. And the most likely outcome I have has a 51-49 Democratic majority. And you guys probably don't look at this the same way I do. I work in national politics. I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen next year. And, you know, but I've got I've got Democrats holding Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut. Georgia, and then I've got Republicans picking up Nevada, but I think I might be wrong on that one. Democrats holding New Hampshire, 
and Pitts, uh, they're flipping Pennsylvania and flipping Wisconsin. So, so all right. So Matt I Lewis mean, had a great article about how you take a couple of those races like New Hampshire and Arizona, where mm-hmm. not only did did Trump intervene in, in Arizona, you've got the Trump endorsed candidate, but he, because of his hatred of Doug Ducey, you don't have a, a fantastic Republican candidate there. That's right. Because of That's right. uh, Trump meddling in his stuff, you don't have Sununu running in New Hampshire. There's that puts two Senate seats in peril, right? Right. Well, Just not, right not, there. Not, not only, yeah, not only that. I mean, your your most likely candidate in New Hampshire, Republican candidate in New Hampshire, is going to be pegged as an election denier. You know, yeah. Uh, and that you know there are, I think it's Hassan. She's beatable. She's be, can't remember yeah. Hassan or Shaheen, but they're who, whichever one Shaheen. it is. Yeah, Shaheen. Yeah, Shaheen. Very She's beatable weak. with the right yep. candidate, and Yusunu would have yeah. been the best the best choice, but. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's a tough it's a tough thing. But you know, Scott, you got anything you want to add or you want to walk away from this? I just seen Scott rubbing his forehead well, I, for five I said minutes have been talking, so he can't. I, yeah, I well, I've said what I need to say. <laughs> Crappy candidates lose races. <laughs> and, and I'm afraid that we've nominated some crappy candidates, not just here but other places as well. And uh, you know, it's not the only reason. Clearly that Republicans are starting to fall behind in these polls, but it is a major, major reason. We need to be more serious about who we select to represent us. And as a party, not necessarily as a country, but we need to be more serious. It reminds me of the early days of the Tea Party movement. I can't remember the year, maybe it was 2010, where, yeah, there there were a hand, Republicans had a chance. I guess they did take over the Senate, but it was not by as big a margin as they could because there's some lousy candidates out there. They didn't take over the Senate until the 2014 midterms. Right. And, yeah, and you look right. at you, you right. look at some of you look at some of the candidates they had. You had you had Todd Aiken running in Missouri, who and you you know talked about legitimate rape. You had the, the guy who beat Dick Luger, Christine. Christine O'Donnell. Well, that was never Delaware yeah, was never winnable. That. But you had the guy I can't remember his name. The guy who beat Dick Luger in the Republican primary. He made a similar mistake. And then you had Sharon Angle yeah. out in Nevada, who was running against uh, Harry Reid, and Harry Reid, you know, that Nevada was. Generally, a toss-up state at the time; it could have gone either way. I mean, you had some. Yep. We had a guy in Virginia call somebody a monkey. I don't remember they? that. I mean, just, no, that was uh, George yeah, Allen. Yeah, bad it was stuff. A, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Macaca, something like that. Macaca. That was like that was that was two thousand six, I think. But be that be that yeah, as it. Okay. I mean, but it. The trend is disturbing. Yeah. So so Scott Scott put something in the agenda tonight that talks about the PSC saga still continues in the article. He linked to is judge. A federal judge has upheld the ban on distributing food and drinks near Georgia polling sites, even though a legal dispute is continuing oh, no, on that. That's not right. So Scott screwed up here, and I think he wanted to discuss two <laughs> things and not one thing. So Scott, I'm gonna let you talk about the PSC saga oh, yeah. continuing. No, just one thing. The PSC thing is really what I wanted to talk about. The PSC, there was a uh, a ruling that said that the PSC election had to be pushed off indefinitely. We talked about that on the podcast, and then a week later, the uh, 11th Circuit overturned that decision. Uh, that was appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court basically said, no, it's off again. So it was <laughs> it was on, then it was off, then it was on, now it's off. But the Supreme Court told the 11th Circuit, basically, y- your, your reasoning for putting this back on wasn't sufficient for us to completely understand what your legal basis was. So we need you to clear that up. 
Now, I have heard that perhaps they're just going to let it go at this point, that the, they're not going to try to push it back to the Supreme Court with additional reasoning. I think the 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 folks who are are the defendants in the case, Raffensperger, et cetera, et al., they're not willing to go ahead and put the resources into it at this point. I hope that that's wrong. I, you know, I heard that as a rumor. Mm-hmm. It's maybe unsubstantiated. I hope it's wrong. I hope that they do push back on it and that the court, the 11th Circuit, does give the Supreme Court what they need to make a more reasoned decision. But as of right now, it's off. Yeah. And that's well, you, you're getting you're getting very happen. close to the. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Scott. You didn't mean to cut you off there, but you're getting very close mm-hmm. to the time when elections officials have to create ballots and start making you know printing right printing absentee ballots and all that sort of stuff. So you got to you got to choose. You know, is this thing on or off? And uh, you know, as you said, Scott, at this moment, it's off. Yeah. Some very disturbing. Yeah. Some very. Well, speaking of weird, some very disturbing. A very disturbing incident happened at the home of Marjorie Taylor Greene. We have talked about this before. When Candace Taylor was subject to an incident of swatting, which is basically when someone calls in to law enforcement a shooting of some sort at a home, a private residence, and they show up. You know, gun. You know, guns drawn or potentially drawn to investigate the, the situation and find out what's going on. And I want to be very clear here. I know of it. I can think of at least one situation where someone has died during an event, an instance of swatting. But this happened at the home of Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you know, I, I'm going to just ever so briefly separate my personal feelings about her and this situation. This should never happen to anyone. I don't care how much you disagree yep. with them. I don't care how much you 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 loathe them. I don't care what they've said. And, you know, you don't do this kind of stuff to anyone because people can die. And I realize in our hyper-partisan country right now, we have dehumanized everyone. She's guilty of it, too. But we've dehumanized people to the point that they're our enemy, our sworn enemy, just because of whether they have an R or a D next to their name. That shit has to stop. I've seen, you know... I was in D.C. the morning Steve Steve Scalise nearly was killed yep. by some you know, crazed lunatic who thought it'd be cool yep. to go kill some Republicans during a baseball practice. This has to stop, and it needs to stop now, because if we continue down this path, there will be no saving our political system as it is right now. Anyway, yep. I'm, I'll get I, off my I agree soap, with everything soapbox. you said. I agree with everything you said, Jason. I'll just add that the I don't think there's, there's anything a, else to uh, add, to, Jason. I mean, uh, yeah, the only thing to say uh, that if you're interested in the case that Jason referenced of a person who was killed in the midst of a swatting uh, on Netflix, there's a, uh, a series called Web of Deceit that's about crazy crap that happens on the internet, and there's a there's an episode about that. And it was a very, very tragic. A completely innocent was murdered over a dollar fifty that was lost in a freaking online video game competition, and yeah. a man was dead because of that. And this happened to people we know. I mean, this happened to Eric as well years ago. But it happened to Eric. Eric Erickson yeah. had it. Yeah, has been yeah. swatted. Look, I, I think what you just said it was perfect. I'm not going to add anything at all because it was perfect. I concur. Yeah. Um, 
there are other details in there about the motivations of the person who did this in the story. It's on thehill.com. They use a computer-generated voice to disguise their voice, but they called back a second time after the swatting was over to, to explain the reason why they did it was because they're unhappy with her LGBTQ legislation that prevents that would prevent minors from getting access to hormones or gender wow. affirming quote unquote treatments and that was the reason why this person did it purely politically motivated outside the realm of what it means to be an american and it was disgusting i i'm sorry that anybody has to go through this including marjorie taylor green you know we're no we're, we're not her cheerleaders here at right. peach pundit but we will definitely step up to say this is wrong and it was disgusting yeah. and like jason said it needs to yeah, stop no matter which side it's coming from i mean it's you know it's and, and like i said i do not agree with her on on really much of anything right you know and in I don't even see her as a member of the same party as right. me, right? I mean, I just don't. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but this is beyond the pale. Yeah, and I would even I mean, yep. even go far as to say she's one of the she's one of the people who I think is doing the most damage in our politics right now. It still doesn't justify something like this. So right. moving moving on, you know, we we've talked. Of, I've I was I forgot what I was writing. I was writing something the other day, and I was I, I was oh I was writing my starting my newsletter the the next one I'm going to send out, which goes out on September sixth. And one of the things I was writing in the newsletter is like I tried to pinpoint the exact moment where American politics really started to going on the decline. The politics is cutthroat. It's it's always been kind of kind of been sort of you know annoying and and partisan, and we all we all know that. And it's it's always been that way. You know, going back, I was talking to a friend about this yesterday. I mentioned the election of eighteen hundred, where John Adams was called a hermaphrodite by uh, some of his political opponents. But and I, I've always pointed to the pointed to the Clinton impeachment as the the point at which the we really took off in hyperpartisan times but there was a really interesting op-ed that caught my eye in the in in the hill and the the two authors Matthew Green and Jeffrey Crouch mentioned a book that Dana Milbank wrote where he, he that he calls the destructionists and he writes that Gingrich, the Virginian Newt Gingrich, bears a singular responsibility for precipitating the ruin of America, the American political system. And I, I found it really interesting because I've read other books that weren't talking about Gingrich specifically or even even you know the the language that he used in in the run up to the 94 Republican Revolution and when Republicans won control of the house for the first time in what 50 years, 40 years, something like that. But it, it is he, but he did, you know, he was, he did very much pressure members of his conference to go along. He threatened them, so on and so forth. But these these two authors have just written a new book about Gingrich, and and they go over some of the things that that he did into the run up to the '94 campaign in terms, especially how it was, you know, to use inflammatory words to describe political opponents, and they they said that in 1990. GOPAC, which was Gingrich's campaign organization, urged Republican candidates to use inflammatory words such as traitors, shallow, and sick to describe their political opponents. And I'm these guys are not saying Gingrich is the cause. Dana Milbank says that, or the singular reason. But Gingrich has, I would say Gingrich created the model on which our modern political system is being run, which is this constant quest for power where you use words like Stacey Abrams using the word treasonous or some of the other uh, things where something like QAnon can thrive and you 
you accuse your political opponents of even being Satanists. I don't know who wants to go first here, but I'm gonna let I'm gonna, whoever raises their hand first gets to go. So, uh, and none of you, neither one of you, are raising have, your hands. Well, I have thoughts, but uh, I have thoughts, but you Scott. go ahead, Scott. Uh, so, one of my college professors wrote a book about dirty campaigns that, that throughout history, throughout American history. And in one of the campaigns, it was for governor of Alabama, and they would have a group of people come in after the first lady of, of Alabama spoke at an event, like a garden club or a, a women's group, a knitting circle, whatever. And they would come in afterwards and they would say, oh, was she okay when she left? Did she smell like alcohol? Because, oh... We've been worried about her, right? And so they would undermine the public appearance of of the first lady of Alabama. And that predates Newt Gingrich. Politics is a dirty business. No, I know. You cannot get into it if you do not have some level of comfort with seeing your own blood. If you cannot handle getting punched in the face, getting a nosebleed, and seeing your own blood on your hands, do not get into politics. I don't know that Gingrich, it started with Newt Gingrich. I think Newt Gingrich was around when, the, you know, you pointed to the, the Clinton years and our friend Bob Barr being insistent on pursuing impeachment mm-hmm. during that time, which was really, you know, so, you know, and I've asked him about this. I asked him about it on a podcast. You know, why would you go forward with this? You knew you were going to lose and you kept pushing it. And he said at the time he felt genuinely like it was the right thing to do. But it didn't really go anywhere and and it it ultimately has cost bob bar bar a lot of credibility in a lot of different circles right so i i don't know you can pin this on gingrich i i i get concerned when any one person is to blame because that's sort of like the scapegoat and it also excuses our own behavior so if if i engage in a campaign like that then i am basically saying well Newt has given me permission to do this. And that's just not the case. We need to have continue to have some sort of personal accountability when we run our campaigns to say, I'm going to raise the level of rhetoric in my campaign. I'm going to focus on the issues. It, when I ran my races, that's, that's how we handled things. We pointed to issues in policy. And I'm sorry, my dog is really obnoxious oh, in the background here. But he's the goodest. But he is the goodest boy. But right hey. now he's not being... All of that to say, I, I, I don't think you can blame Newt, so. and I think the article, yeah, the, the the Hill article that you sent actually wraps up by saying, is he it, can he be blamed? Yeah, but he's not the only reason, and I, I kind of I agree with that that sentiment. I, I don't think you can. The oh, Virginia no. Newt Gingrich is not solely responsible for our, our current state. No, of I I would disagree with Dana Milbank in that he's the singular. He deserves singular responsibility. I disagree with that. I think he, I think he set a tone for sure. And, uh, but I think, I think the quest for power, especially in the digital age, has has it's everywhere now. And you know, well, one of the things too, when you when, there are a lot of crazy ideas out there right now. Like, like AOC has some crazy ideas. Calling that crazy, I don't think is out of bounds. So you know the. A lot of what we see with the gender debate seems crazy. To, I, I would like to think that everybody has equal rights under the Constitution. But for whatever reason, we continue down this, you know, we have movies that are being made right now. Like, what is a woman? The Daily Wire is put out. I haven't seen it. I don't plan on seeing it. But why was there a need for that? When Florida introduces legislation to say you cannot discuss 
gender issues with seven-year-olds. <laughs> and people react like, oh, don't say gay. That's not what that bill did. That bill said, you cannot talk about these things with children who are too young to understand the concepts. And people react in a way where they're the, the person dis, the, defending the social norms is the crazy person. So I think there are some ideas, policy, that need to be attacked as crazy when they are, in fact, crazy. But that doesn't mean that we treat people as less than human. We yeah. don't swat them. We don't look at, you know, like my seatmate in the legislature and I disagreed on a lot of things policy, but she's a dear friend of mine. And, and that Scalia-Ginsburg type of relationship is really what we should aspire to. Have respect mm -hmm. for the person as a person, disagree with their ideas, and move forward. One thing I'll note is that the, the Democratic agenda, or at least the, how their messaging agenda has, has it's, it's largely straight out of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, which, you know, if, if you haven't read it, I would strongly encourage, the, 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 the strongly encourage you to, the one thing I think conservatives get wrong is they don't, they don't know their enemy. And they, they think they know their enemy, they do, but they really don't. They don't know their playbook. And it's and Saul Alinsky's Rule for Radicals is like the beginning of their playbook. Anyway, Buzz. Yeah. Yeah, so I think what, what uh, Milbanks and the authors of that column even miss or forget is what was going on in Congress at that time. You had the, uh, remember the House postage scandal, where uh, the House bank scandal, and the post well, you had, you had the you had the you had the bank scandal and you had the franking scandal. Franking scandal, yes, and and Republicans were you know, rightfully pointing that out and saying we have a, a corrupt institution here. They were all offended at the word that Republicans would dare use the word corrupt to describe this this system where members essentially could send out mail and you know for free for personal use and and they, and then and that the House Bank would loan the money and never they never had to pay it back. So the Gingers was pointing that out. He also crafted the contract with America. So they were running on a positive things. Here are 10 things we're going to do. It wasn't just destruction. It was here are here's a positive agenda that that meant that Mer Americans rallied around said, if you give us the majority, we'll do this. And then they went and did it. So it, it, it well, they try, in some that. cases, ignored, in some cases, they tried to do it and they weren't successful. Yeah, they weren't always successful. But the, they said, we, if you in the first 100 days, here are 10 bills that we will introduce and we will pass out of the house. And they did those. And some of them became yeah. law. And they also did things to clean up the institution at the time to to plug some of those holes that had become corrupt. And it was also a situation where there it had you'd had one party rule in the house for decades and Republicans had kind of got comfortable with that. And New Gingrich comes in and says, "Why should we be we should be trying to become the majority?" And that ruffled feathers on the Republican side because they were used to you know operating in that system, but Look, there's any number of books out there about who's to blame for our horrible political things. And I always think about the, the brilliant little ad that uh, video that Reason produced a number of years ago, taking yes, the words yes, of Thomas yes. Jefferson and John Adams yeah. and turning them into political ads. They're wor they're, those are worse than, than anything that's said these days. I mean, it's, it's hilarious <laughs> how that's what that's were in <laughs> that's, that's what, the video. 1796 or whatever that was. 
It was the election of eighteen. It was the the election election of eighteen hundred. There's a really great book. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there there's a really great book called the Tumult, the Jefferson versus Adams, the tumultuous election of eighteen hundred. That is a phenomenal read. I highly recommend it. But that reason video is hilarious. Yep. Uh, you should check it out. But one of the words, I mean, looking at the words, just the because they link to some of the suggested words that that Gingrich told Republicans to use. I mean, you know, we we were knocking, we knocked Abrams earlier for calling for saying that Brian Kemp. Yes, I'm proud. I'm glad that he wasn't a traitor. I mean, traitor is one of the yes. words that's listed here on this suggested language yeah. that Gingrich is, you know, and and yeah. I mean, but, I'm not again not saying that Gingrich started it, but you know, definitely, I think definitely deserves but, the blame for perpetuating it. Yeah, and the me- look, the, the media loves boogeyman and newt's a boogeyman rush limbaugh who's mentioned the articles of boogeyman oh these people uh before him what was the guy who was who was mastermind lee Uh, atwater guy's name is lee atwater oh they hated lee atwater he was he he was the man before newt he was the man who singularly destroyed american politics and then it was carl rove carl and then you know i mean on and on so Newt's the latest one. So Dana Milbanks wants to sell a book. Who, you know, who's the boogeyman we can create here? Oh, it's Newt Gingrich. So wrapping up today's podcast, I know you all, given that all three of us are are baseball fans, it is it is time to discuss a man whose blood alcohol content is higher than his batting, and that of course is is, Whoa, is Marcelo Zuna. Marcelo Zuna was <laughs> no no he's. Ozuna from the Braves. Braves. Yes, excuse me. Here's 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 Ozuna from the Braves. Ozuna from the Braves was arrested last week at what three or four in the morning, like ungodly hour. Like even when I was even when I would go out and party, I never I would never stay out until four o'clock in the morning. He you know and like when he is when the police are approaching the car, he hands his license and and insurance card, and he's like, "I'm I'm Ozuna from the Braves." Like that's gonna get him out of this. He did. It wasn't his insurance card. It was his Major League Baseball oh, was employee it? identification oh, card. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's hilarious. Yes. So, and oh, yes, man. and he says, I'm Ozuna from the Braves. So he was arrested for DUI. <laughs> Trying to get out of it. Yeah, he was arrested for DUI. Obviously, he did not play the next day or two, but he did play. Uh, he was in the lineup, I think, on sun- Sunday. Sunday it was. I think it was when it was. Uh, it was a day uh, game. 21st. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he was yeah. in the lineup, which caught, I was a little surprised when he was in the when I saw him in the lineup, and of course he didn't get a single hit. And yeah, he was he very, very, very. They pulled him after two at bats. Yeah, they pulled him after two at bats. He yeah. was he was very, very, very much booed by the fans who who were just to be honest here, really sick of him because this is not his first encounter. Yeah. He missed most yeah. most of last season because of the situation he had with his wife. He got. Six months, what, six months probation, a couple hundred hours of community service, and something else. Oh, he had to take anger management. Here he is again in legal trouble, and he, the Braves are on the hook for at least $36 million for next year and the year after, not to mention what they owe him this year. Yeah. Right. It's, it, it's uh, a, I mean, not only did the fans boo him, you know, it, it, his first at bat, it, was, it wasn't a very loud booing. It was like a smattering of booing. Then he struck out, and there were a lot more boos. When he struck out, but when he came to the plate for the first time on Sunday, his first at bat, the Braves to give you an indication of how fed up everybody is with him. The Braves radio broadcaster Ben Ingram introduced him by saying, "And now up the bat, here is Ozuna from the Braves," which was the line he gave the cop trying to get out of getting arrested. And 
it was like a it was like a a, a slow roll trolling, and it was like under the radar because there was no change in his normal yeah. announcer voice when he was yeah. calling the radio, but it was hilarious and, and also sad because this guy, I think you know he he came from nothing, and he's getting ready to lose everything, and he doesn't even realize it. Yeah. And he needs help. Like, this guy seriously needs help, and I hope he finds it, just not in Atlanta. I hope he goes someplace else, and the Braves are able to get out yep. from this contract somehow. Yeah, Buzz? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's, I don't think – I don't know that the league – I mean, the league could act, but there's no hard and fast rules around it as, as there was with the incident with his, with his wife. But I can't see him – you know, look, this, I mean – you can cut him now and eat the money just to clear up a roster spot to put somebody else in there, or you can hang on to him and you know let him sit on the bench, but and and you know get rid of him next year for a couple draft picks or something. I don't, you know, I don't know, and a bag of Cheetos. Yeah, but, I don't know what's going to happen. But they're not. <laughs> I can't no, see thing, him being the with thing, the Braves much longer. Look, the thing that's got to piss off Braves fans, especially if you, if, you know, in light of the Freddie Freeman situation where we couldn't, re- we didn't re-sign him, you know, you know, we're facing a similar situation with Dansby Swanson. Now, Vaughn Grissom, you know, rookie's come up, he's played great. Going into today's game, he was hitting over four hundred. He's, but he hadn't played in that many games, you know. But you're looking at that eighteen million dollars that that's owed to Azuna in twenty three and twenty four, and you're like, man, that, you know, that that. We could go sign some free agents, get a couple, you know, get another starting pitcher, a, a quality starting pitcher, and you know, throw some of that money in Dan, at Dansby and, and and be and be fine. But here we are with yeah. with an albatross around our neck, and you know, you know, you could try to trade Buzz. Yeah. You're right, you could try to trade him and, and get some prospects for him. Some, you know, maybe one or two prospects who are not in the top 100 on any on any list right. of MLB pro- uh, prospects, but. Um, you could try to move him, but you're still going to be paying out a substantial portion of the salary, like we did with that that yep. guy from Cuba a few years ago, or Kenshin Kawakami. Mm-hmm. The, that that was a, you know talking about failures of of, man, of management, and yes. you could. But he, here's a guy who who since t- his first year in a Braves uniform, strikes uh, not strike shortened year, COVID shortened year, sixty games, <laughs> led the league in home runs, led the league in RBIs, sixth in, in MVP voting. Obviously that one that one went to Freddie Freeman. Last year played in forty eight games, hit two thirteen. This year hitting two thirteen and he's played in hundred and eight games and yeah. he, he is now stuck in a twenty something homers though, right? Yeah. He's got twenty home runs. But he's he's stuck in a role where he's basically the backup to a platoon situation with with yeah. a guy who's hitting under two hundred. Granted he was hurt earlier in the year and had to have surgery and you know, some some guy this the Grossman guy who we got from Detroit for you know, not next to nothing, who was also hitting about the same average as Marzillo Zuna yeah. is. That's our platoon right now in left field. It's like the biggest weakness in our lineup. You know, yeah, it's just it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to look at it because you know, we're again thirty six million dollars. We might not be able to sign Dansby yeah. Swanson because of it, and fans are going to be pissed. This is the worst signing of the time with. The- time with the yeah, that's 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 the yeah that's just what i was going to say i mean he, the guys had the magic touch but it, it but and this isn't his fault right he didn't he, you know who, who would have known that after that season he had in the in the covid shortened season that when everybody wanted him back and all the brace players wanted him back he really hit it off well with with acuna and albies and especially and all the team and they loved him 
everybody wanted him back, and who knew? Yeah, I remember. In this day and age, though, Uber is your friend. Right. Just take a freaking yes. Uber. It's, it's, not, it's not like you like, can't afford it. Th- there's. Yeah. Right. Just Uber home <laughs> and give the Uber driver a thrill that he, he had yeah. Azuna from the Braves in the backseat <laughs> yeah. of his car. I, there's just no I remember, excuse. I, yeah. In this day and age, drunk driving is just. I remember when we signed yeah. him. I was very skeptical because just I went, you know, what I was, I had the same thing when we signed Dan Ugg or when we traded for Dan Ugla. I was like, this is a mistake. Yeah. And yeah. and I had the same feeling when we when we got BJ Upton and Justin Upton. You know, they're like, this is a mistake. <laughs> and of course, that was Frank Wren. Frank Wren was a terrible GM, but <laughs> but you know, but when we when we resigned him, and yeah, he had a great twenty twenty. You know, but it's just like, is that a one-off year? Because you know, he's he was in his late right. 30, late twenties, late twenties at the time, and it's just like that. He had never put up a year like that before. It was a, it was a shortened season. Can he do this again? And the answer has been no. And you know, no. we're we're throwing away money keeping this guy on the team. But you know, I'm yeah. I'm just some dude who watches baseball, you know, on the ML, <laughs> MLB TV and just yells at the TV all the time. <laughs> So what 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 the hell do I know? I know I know nothing. Um, we are out of time for today. Thanks so much, for, folks, for joining us. Uh, I want to thank our Patreons: Ryan Graham, Hunter Burnett, John Vestal, Brant Frost, Reed Powell, Benjamin Hurst, and Sam Thomas. You too can become a Patreon of the Peach Pundit Podcast just by going to Patreon.com/slash Peach Pundit. Uh, you have different tiers you can choose from. A few bucks helps us helps us uh, helps us offset costs that we incur from producing the podcast. We don't take any money from it, but we appreciate everybody who who listens. Drop us a line. Visit peachpundit.com and I think oh should we know we're not going to do video podcasts anymore, Scott? Is that right? Well, we're going to try. I mean, this if this doesn't work tonight, uh, the video podcast may go the way of the dodo, but we're going to do our level best to keep it alive. The problem is the technology just isn't there to match sound quality expectations for an mm-hmm. audio podcast. And most of our listenership listens to us via Spotify or or Apple Podcasts or one of those, or SoundCloud. And we want to make sure that we're taking care of them. But we also don't want to have out-of-sync audio issues anymore. Like That's unacceptable to yep. us, and we're going to do everything we can. The, what is happening now is a lot more time is being spent on the back end in the way of time in post-production we didn't have that before we didn't have that time sync before but now we do and your support is definitely a huge help so if you're a long-time listener and you just haven't chucked in the five bucks please consider it it would help us a ton and that's all we have buzz would be you got any final thoughts it, it'd be a shame to deprive the world of these three beautiful faces but you know what can you say <laughs> Or awesome T-shirts like the Two one out I have of three on. Ain't bad. The one I have on, the T-shirt I have on. Uh, yeah. Stop, stop, stop glorifying politicians. <laughs> Go owls. Oh, Sorry, I'm, Go I'm dogs. I'm in all, all black today. And next week I'll be in Atlanta, and hopefully we'll have an in-person podcast. That'll be our first first for us. So, but anyway, we'll see you soon. Peace out. Have a good one. Later, guys. <laughs>